0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence based research and cutting edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to season three of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Nutrition Podcast, where you'll find evidence based insights from world leading experts to take your game. To the next level. Today, folks, we're talking all things CBD and the endocannabinoid system with expert Steve Ottersberg, a biochemist, a clinical nutrition product formulation expert. Steve is also a faculty member of progressive med- medical education, as well as a genetic consultant to Endocanna Health. In this episode, Steve shares his insights into the evolutionary background of the endocannabinoid system, how it impacts virtually all systems in the body, and the potential benefits of CBD supplementation for things like pain, inflammation, anxiety, sleep, and mild traumatic brain injury. Steve also talks about the crosstalk between the gut microbiota and the endocannabinoid system, as well as the various delivery methods, safety profile, and where the research may be going in the next decade. As usual, you can find the links and the podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast forward slash CBD. If you're interested in more on the topic of the brain and inflammation, then you may want to jump back to season one, episode 21, with expert Dr. John Sullivan, talking about how the brain always wins, performance and roadblocks to success, Or Season 2, Episode 19, with expert Dr. Michael Lewis, M.D., talking CBD oil, omega-3s, and concussions. Terrific! This episode is sponsored by my new book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports. A number one bestseller on Amazon in Canada, the USA, and the UK. Recent expert feedback from Mike Robertson, Co-owner of iFast, named one of America's top 10 gyms, says, Peak pushes the envelope with regards to continuing education. Quite simply, if you want to better understand the numerous ways you can positively impact your athletes, Peak is a must-read. You can check out all the expert blurbs at athleteevolution.org. That's athleteevolution.org. And if you want to share some feedback or ask a question, please use the hashtag GoPeak hashtag go peak on social media and be sure to tag me in at dr bubs on instagram twitter and facebook awesome let's do this season three episode 38 with steve ottersberg talking all things cbd enjoy steve thanks so much for taking the time today
2: my pleasure absolutely
1: well listen i'm looking forward to diving into all things cbd here today with you and uh you know before we start maybe we can Start from a real thirty thousand foot view here, and and you can tell us perhaps a little bit more about the evolutionary background of this endocannabinoid system.
2: Well, that's going to have to go way far back in human evolution. Actually, you know, I, I did a, a talk at the Ancestral Health Symposium over the summer, so I got to spend some time doing a little bit of literature research on this. And the endocannabinoid system, as we know it, which consists of cannabinoid receptors and the enzymes that convert our um, membrane-bound fatty acids into endocannabinoids, these receptors' genes, they go back as far as the elephant shark. And the reason that the elephant shark is a, a marker in evolution is because it's one of the the species that's still alive today that basically has been skipped by evolution for the longest period of time of most vertebrate animals. Wow. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting there's there are organisms as simple as the hydra that have rudimentary endocannabinoid systems. There are fungi that produce endocannabinoids that don't necessarily have can- cannabis receptors and there, there are actually some insects that actually have cannabinoid receptors that don't produce endocannabinoids and so it's a it's a really long evolutionary history with human evolution and the evolution of other species and the, the endocannabinoid system.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating stuff in terms of, you know, the CNR1, CNR2, the name of the genes that encode for the cannabinoid receptors, as you just mentioned, spanning mammals and vertebrates. I mean, I suppose we can really infer that this gene is obviously very important if it's going back, you know, that far, correct? That is
2: correct. And that's, you know, for me as a, I'm going to, you know, I do a lot of nutritional biochemistry today, but my, my training is in drug design. And in drug design, I I was steeped in genetics. And, you know, one of the things about genetics, when I do searches in, in enzyme databases, one of the things that I look for is the number of organisms that a gene is transcribed in. And it turns out that the number, when, when you see a gene that is carried by a large number of organisms, that usually points to something that's really important for basic homeostasis. Wow, well, I mean, that's,
1: uh, you know, a lot of different ways we could go with that. I think maybe before we go in different directions here, if you could maybe describe perhaps some of the characteristics and metabolic functions of you know CB1 and CB2 to get listeners on the same page.
2: Absolutely. So I like to refer to CB1 as the anti-lock brakes for the central nervous system. Nice. Because one of the many functions of CB1 is CB1 is described as a retrograde feedback inhibitor of neurotransmission. And, you know, I actually, I want to rephrase that. It's a retrograde feedback modulator of neurotransmission. And the reason I want to state that more correctly is because like anti-lock brakes on your car, when CB1 feeds back to slow neurotransmission, it doesn't stop it. Mm-hmm. It it modulates neurotransmission and that modulation can either be in what's known as tonic or phasic modulation so it really fine tunes the signals that neurotransmitters produce in the human brain
1: and fantastic and when we shift gears to CB2 what what type of characteristics do we see there
2: CB2 has had so I, I like to start with talking about CB1 in the central nervous system and CB2 in the immune system, not because they're limited to those, but, but because that's where they were first, um, where they were first discovered. And CB2 has a really important function in the central nervous, or pardon me, in the in the uh, the immune system as a modulator of immune response. So it's really important in autoimmune conditions because CB2 can help to modulate immune response in autoimmune conditions. CB1 has some of that effect in in the immune system too. And I I can't talk about CB2 without talking about its function in the gut barrier and in the blood-brain barrier. CB2 is inherently linked to our gut and blood brain barrier's ability to selectively increase or decrease permeability.
1: Wow, I mean that's definitely something that uh, obviously today with head traumas and you name the sport, you know, ice hockey, football, rugby, MMA, boxing, you know, if you suffer a head trauma, you know, TBI, obviously the blood brain barrier integrity is is severely compromised, you know, at about you know, roughly the four hour mark and of course, you know, you're mentioning here that the cannabinoids potentially have a protective effect
2: on these yep. this integrity. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And so this I I don't wanna get political with this, but this is this is something with the the neuroprotective effects of CB2, and I'm referring to CB2 because the neuroprotective effects of CB2 are likely more important for CBD than THC, mm-hmm. but the protective effects of CBD have been patented by the United States Department of Health and Human Services, and wow. in that patent, they name the NMDA resistor system and the AMPA receptor system. And so these two receptor systems, as you know, are inherently linked with many of our neurodegenerative diseases that that we just associate with old age that I associate with poor diet and repeated traumatic brain injury. Absolutely. And this gets,
1: you know, as you just mentioned there, it sort of gets a bit complicated because in professional sport and sports like the NFL, I mean, these things need to be given prophylactically to really have that sort of benefit. And of course being outlawed in these sports and against, uh, you know, doping regulations, it's, it's, um, it's it really is a a bit of a quandary, isn't it, in terms of the potential therapeutic benefit and where we're at from sort of a legal standpoint?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I personally believe that CBD and THC in professional sports should be allowed if vitamin D is allowed.
1: Interesting, and that and that, can you explain to listeners that sort of analogous to the vitamin D? Why vitamin well, because-
2: D? Because vitamin D is really an important tool for protection of the central nervous system and maintenance of normal immune function. And to me, that protection of, of neurological function and maintenance of immune function is absolutely essential for peak performance for anybody in any field. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting when you put it that way because it really does make it seem uh, like a no brainer in that sense. And you know, if we, maybe bring this back to even diet now and things like, you know, arachidonic acid playing a key role, this balance of omega-6s to omega-3s, you know, how are things like arachidonic acid and some of its derivatives impacting this endocannabinoid system?
2: So I have to give credit to Oliver Manzoni. He is a French researcher that has done a lot of groundbreaking research on the endocannabinoid system in mice. And What Manzoni has found in mice is that when mice are fed an omega-3 deficient diet, their brains lose the ability to – they lose endocannabinoid-mediated neuroplasticity. Does that make sense how I say that? For sure. I mean, basically, I like to say that if you – are deficient in, in omega 3s, you are losing your ability to grow and repair new neurons in your brain. And this is so important that, you know, and we have to tie this into, into diet because you have to recognize that our endocannabinoids are directly derived from our essential fatty acids in our diet, that omega 3 to omega 6 balance. And it's so important that before DHA from fish oil was linked to endocannabinoids, it was identified as a generator of new synapses. And so the endocannabinoid that is derived from DHA was given the nickname synaptamide before it was understood that it was an endocannabinoid.
1: Wow. I mean, that has obviously tremendous implications today with standard American diet being so heavily skewed towards omega-6, you know, fat intake. And, you know, we know now that whether it's the U.S., Canada, the U.K., 50% of household spending is on ultra-processed food. And so, you know, our diets are just sort of inundated with with these fats that that are skewing this ratio. And, of course, getting more omega-3 is nice. But, I mean, if if folks are not shifting their dietary intake to reduce that omega-6 intake, it seems like, uh, you know, we're really not going to make it as much, Um, headway as we as we could do
2: yeah absolutely correct and i think you know i have to credit um ethan russo he's a he's a neurologist who's who's been a pioneering researcher in, in the endocannabinoid system ethan russo refers to the function of the endocannabinoid system as endocannabinoid tone and i like to say that you have to you have to get a, a good sufficient amount of omega 3s in your diet you have to avoid omega 6s and the way you do this is by eating good clean healthy grass-fed meats you know good clean wild caught fish and plenty of green leafy vegetables i can't stress mm-hmm. you know consumption of vegetables and remember corn is not a vegetable corn is a grain <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well stated yeah <laughs>
2: you know we we live in a world where people think that eating corn is healthy because they they have been taught that it's a vegetable.
1: It's that green husk that throws everybody off. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's plant matter, but it's not healthy plant. Matter. Yeah, it's no, one of the sources of omega-6s on the planet.
1: It is it is amazing. I mean even obviously when we talk sport and performance, um, you know, often it's a misnomer that we think that all athletes are eating the you know the best diets. I mean, obviously performance staffs and teams are trying to promote that and encourage that and nudge athletes towards that. But I mean, you know, if you're a gifted athlete, you just, you know, you eat like a 20 year old would eat, not necessarily like somebody who's playing at an elite level. And so I think that's, uh, you know, oftentimes we're, you know, trying to create that environment um, being sort of a, what they call a choice architect of being able to, you know, skew and nudge people in a certain direction is important because as you mentioned, I mean, this, this big, Skewed omega six to three balance is is tough to is tough to overcome when you're in the, in the environment that we're in. Right, you're really kind of swimming upstream.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a great analogy, <laughs> especially for me because I used to be I used to be a uh, a competitive triathlete. Oh, amazing! And one of the things when I was when I was training, I was actually training for the ninety two Olympics, and I I wanted to go semi pro. And one of the things that was frustrating for me was everybody around me in the triathlon world and also in the swimming world and cycling is there is this misconception that if you are training at that level that you can eat or drink anything you want and mm. I just want to remind everybody about Jim Fix. Do you remember the marathon runner Jim Fix?
1: I do, yeah. But go on, do definitely
2: re- please. Do, do you recall how old he was when he died? I don't actually. I'm gonna Google this right now because he um, he always he always you know referred to himself as the the junk food marathon runner. And guess what his cause of death was?
1: I'm, I'm gonna go out on the limb here with uh, some type of heart
2: condition. Died of a heart attack at age 52. Marathon Ouch. runner. Yeah. And why is, this, why is this not common knowledge to everybody in the sports world? I think every athlete of any level should understand that you don't get a free lunch in terms of what you eat because you're an athlete. And Jim Fix taught us that by dying at age 52. To me, a, a marathon runner who dies at age 52 while running should be the biggest <laughs> – wake-up call to us about why diet is primarily important for athletes and not something that you can ignore.
1: Absolutely. I mean, definitely as, you know, glucose tolerance tends to worsen with age and, you know, the old maxim where people just used to train high carbohydrate all the time, even though yep. we know that's still good on race day, but we used to do that seven days a week. And, you know, obviously, as you're alluding to here, it really starts to have some serious repercussions as you get 30 plus, 40 plus, and of course, 50 plus. And so, yeah, great, great point. And definitely one that's starting to make some inroads as well with athletes, which is good to see, but there's still obviously a long way to go. And, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people in general population, you still see so many people signing up for marathons and committing to the four or five, six months of training, increasing their exp- energy expenditure dramatically and, and still not really losing very much weight. And, it's, you know, unfortunately it's because they're still, you know, using some of these strategies that are, uh, you know, they don't have the right feeling strategy effectively, right? We're using some of these old school strategies of really being high carb all the time, and
2: yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, me as a fifty year old, I have really had to moderate my exercise, and you know, pay special attention to my diet. My diet has changed dramatically since you know than than what it was when I was thirty, when I was still doing triathlons, and ever, I can't have a day go by where I don't notice somebody who is morbidly obese or relatively obese that's out running and all i could think is oh my god your exercise is never ever going to make up for your horrible diet ever
1: yeah i mean it's a tricky one that uh you you see it in elite sport where like a pro football player can actually kind of out exercise that bad diet as you alluded to but yeah the general population you just can't uh you know and it's unfortunate because a lot of folks are just trying to follow certain guidelines that they've heard of or you know trying to do the right thing and yeah it just uh putting all that effort into their training and exercise and then still not getting the results. And, and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty disappointing for a lot of people. And, you know, if we, if we circle all this back to the endocannabinoid system, I mean, you've talked about how this interacts with virtually all the systems of the body. And, and, you know, we talk things like immunity, which obviously if we're talking about athletes is something that can be compromised, particularly in endurance athletes, but also things like sleep, you know, where are we at at the moment? I've had a lot of anecdotal, feedback from clients and friends as well around CBD and sleep, you know, where are we at in the research there in terms of its capacity to support sleep?
2: Well, it, it obviously varies from individual to individual because, you know, our, we all have different genetic makeup and our genetic makeup determines how effective we can produce endocannabinoids and how effective those endocannabinoids are when they bind to the receptors. And so it's not a one-size-fits-all, but mm-hmm. if, if I were to, to you know, coach somebody who's having sleep difficulty, I think CBD would be one of the first things that I would reach for because CBD has a property that's known as an anxiolytic effect. And you know a lot of people say that CBD is non-psychoactive and that's not true. Anxiolytic means that it is an anti-anxiety compound. And so for people that have issues with anxiety, CBD can be absolutely life-changing for them to you know to fall asleep. You know one of the, one of the important functions of the endocannabinoid system is fear extinction. You know it it, it is it is, you know, we've evolved with the you know, cannabinoid system to help us to forget about predators. You know, if you think about, you know, prehistoric humans, we probably the only way that we could sleep is if we could forget about the, the saber-toothed tiger for 30 mm-hmm. years a day.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, when I mean, you put it that way around anxiety and fear, and again, if we have a performance slant here, I mean, you know, obviously the six inches between the ears is often said to be the difference maker in elite sport and, and, you know, sports like golf back in the day using beta blockers to help calm the nerves and things like that. So you'd, you'd think CBD around this ability to sort of calm the fear and get out of the thinking brain might be uh, something
2: that more and more athletes
1: might be looking towards.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think especially if you are genetically predispositioned to produce low levels of endocannabinoids, you might benefit greatly from CBD or from THC. If you produce naturally high levels of of endocannabinoids, you might not see as great a benefit. Gotcha. And so it, you know, because we're all genetically individual, we we may not all benefit the same. You know, and that's true of any any nutritional compound.
1: Absolutely, and I think, you know, obviously the one of the main stumbling blocks in elite sport is around the safety profile and of course, you know, I've seen research showing that you know, combinations that have THC and CBD, this synergistic effect might actually amplify benefits. Um, so I'm not sure if you can comment there. And of course, you know, on the back end of that question would be then, obviously, if there is some TS, THC, then in terms of testing for athletes, that would obviously be something that's you know not going to be appropriate with the current oh, guidelines.
2: Yeah, correct. I mean, that is the, that is the trick. I mean, the, the plant cannabis sativa is the same. It's the same plant, whether you're talking about hemp or you're talking about marijuana. The difference is that marijuana has been bred to produce high THC and hemp has been produ- has been bred to produce rope and it, you know the side effect of producing rope is that it produces more CBD than THC mm-hmm. and so you can't, you can 't actually get CBD without THC unless it 's been highly purified and there are some legal issues with that that i don 't think we definitely necessarily want to get into in this discussion but You know, When you think about the synergistic effects, it's because they have some some complementary pharmacological effects. So this might get deep into pharmacology for some of your listeners, but I think it's important for people to understand that CBD is known as a CB1 receptor agonist, meaning that it binds to the same receptor site as our endocannabinoids do, and it elicits a similar response as our endocannabinoids do, at both the CB1 and CB2 receptor. So that's THC, agonist. Mm -hmm. CBD is what's known as an inverse agonist. And without getting into the pharmacology of that, an inverse agonist binds to a site other than the receptor site, and it modulates the effect of the receptor. And that's why people always say that CBD modulates or moderates the effects of thc do you recall the drug um, marinol i do yes so marinol was a synthetic thc that was approved in the united states for the side effects of chemo and radiation and it was a flop the reason that marinol was a flop is because the most common side effect was dysphoria and I don't think that you need a to understand that dysphoria is bad. You know, when you combine CBD with THC, most people feel a euphoric effect of the combination of CBD and THC. When you consume THC alone, and especially if you consume it orally or at high dose, THC alone produce, can for most people produce a dysphoric effect. And that's why I'd I'm not a fan of high THC preparations for most people because most people tolerate THC better in low doses and most people tolerate THC when it's combined with CBD.
1: That's really interesting. And, you know, Steve, if we talk delivery methods, I mean, obviously today a lot of different options between, um, you know, oils and transdermal and, you know, even edibles, and, and maybe you want to comment even on edibles, obviously that's, that's effectively you're almost consuming a totally different drug altogether, aren't you, when you consume this versus, you know, um, smoking or vaporizing it, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, most people are familiar with the effects of, of smoking cannabis. And for most people, smoking cannabis produces a pretty reliable response, Most people feel the effects of smoked cannabis within a matter of seconds, and the duration of effect is very predictable from person to person. When you consume cannabis orally, the CBD and THC, predominantly THC, CBD not as much, go through what's known as first pass metabolism via the liver because all fats go to the liver before they before they are really released to the bloodstream. And because of first-pass metabolism in the liver and because there's so much genetic variation in the enzymes involved in first-pass metabolism in the liver, THC consumed orally is highly variable in response. The duration of effect is highly variable. And so it becomes a pharmacological nightmare to dose— the general public with thc orally cbd not as much because remember that the 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 psychoactive effect of cbd is very mild and it's it's anti-anxiety in nature and so most people are going to tolerate cbd much more much more um cbd is going to be much more tolerable for the general public than thc well when i think i've met three people in my life that don't tolerate CBD well, and about a third of the people that I know don't tolerate THC well.
1: It is incredible in terms of the, the, the length of time it can have an impact as well. The, you mentioned the THC in edibles. I mean, that can actually go on for, for days, days in some people, right? I mean, that's, yeah. a pretty, yeah. that's a pretty but big commitment.
2: Because of first-pass metabolism in the liver, the variation of effect of THC consumed orally is from 7 to 72 hours in duration. That, that's, that's insane. It's, yeah, it's a pharmacological nightmare.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And so, in terms of you know delivery methods that uh, for CBD at the moment, you know, is there advantages to transdermal? I've heard around even sublingual, in, enhancing some absorption. You know, any yeah. thoughts on on what you would uh, prioritize?
2: Well, tran- transdermal, transdermal is tricky. I mean, there's there can be. I don't like transdermal necessarily, simply because. If you're absorbing something through your skin, if you have any toxins associated with that absorption system, you're absorbing those as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. No if, idea. Yeah. But you know, remember the skin is our largest organ of absorption and elimination. So whatever you put on your skin, you're going to absorb. So just recognize if you're going to use a transdermal, make sure that there's not other junk in it that's going to get absorbed with, with the CBD or THC. You know, I like for oral or or sublingual preparations, I like liposomal preparations simply because it's pretty well characterized that, you know, that liposomal preparations tend to increase the bioavailability of fat-soluble compounds. And that's the, you know, that's the main issue with any of the cannabinoids is that they're fat-soluble. And so because they're fat-soluble, their absorption can be slow and or unpredictable.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And depending on dose, is that depending on, you know, the you know, the symptom or the condition that we're trying to treat? I mean, I know things like anxiety can be anywhere from sort of a thirty to sixty milligram minimum dose, all the way up to three hundred milligrams potentially. I mean, does this vary if we're dealing with head trauma versus sleep versus anxiety?
2: Well, I mean, the nature of fat soluble absorption in the human body is that it is highly dependent upon the amount of fat in your diet. Because remember, when you consume fat, it stimulates the production of chylomicrons in the gut. And the chylomicrons are water absorbing our fat-soluble nutrients in our gut. So our, our, the amount of diet, dietary fat that we consume influences the absorption of cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like liposomes, because it kind of helps to it kind of helps to to you know improve the absorption profile of of everything fat soluble.
1: That's terrific. And if, you know, if we circle back a little bit here, Steve, around you know we touched on sort of pain and inflammation with respect to autoimmune conditions, but maybe you can comment again on you know the potential pros here of something like CBD for chronic inflammatory conditions. Or you know, I suppose from an athlete standpoint, they'll probably be thinking of periods of excessive inflammation. You know, is there a potential? Um, Significant impact here from from an inflammatory standpoint.
2: Absolutely, and here's the thing you have to remember about inflammation. You know, inflammation is important. Mm-hmm. We, especially for athletes, we need you know we need some inflammation to help rebuild you know muscle and connective tissues after workouts. But the inflammation has to turn off at some. Point. And, you know, this is one of the issues with overtraining is that if you just continuously insult the muscles and connective tissue, they don't have time to repair. And when your muscles and connective tissues are consistently inflamed over time, they also don't have time to repair. And you have to break down inflammation. Remember that there is prostaglandin-mediated inflammation from arachidonic acid. So remember the non-steroidal inflammatories block that. So aspirin and ibuprofen, all athletes are constantly grabbing for ibuprofen right <laughs> for sure and remember that ibuprofen is really hard on the kidneys there when i was in the pharmaceutical industry i would call on emergency room docs and they would they had this this thing that they called uh, moab syndrome because where i was in the pharmaceutical industry we were close to moab utah and they would see these you know elite mountain bikers and climbers come to moab where it's really hot and dry and they would do these intense workouts climbing or mountain biking or running and then they would pop an ibuprofen and they would end up in the hospital with kidney failure wow and it's it's reversible with IV fluids but why would not you ideal
1: think? yeah for sure
2: yeah. and so the other side of inflammation is, is the cytokine side of inflammation and so you know, I like to think of the, the prostaglandin inflammation associated with arachidonic acid is important for kind of physical damage. And the cytokine inflammation is important for immune function. Remember that immune cells have to be able to infiltrate into our tissues in order to to do their job. And inflammation allows the infiltration of immune cells to do their thing. And you know what determines the the what I call the resident time of an immune cell into a specific tissue is cytokine inflammation. When cytokine inflammation from things like NF kappa beta um, and TNF alpha and some of the interleukins, this inflammation is important so that the the infiltration of immune cells can do their job, but it has to be turned off. Just like prostaglandin uh, inflammation from arachidonic acid derivatives is important at the time of injury. And at the time of training, but it has to be turned off. And the there's a lot of crossover between the endocannabinoid system and the prostaglandin side of the immune system so much that, you know, you think about what aspirin and ibuprofen and some of the what are known as COX-2 selective inhibitors. Mm-hmm. They block the enzyme cyclooxygenase. And cyclooxygenase also metabolizes some of our endocannabinoids. And that's, you know, just remember that the prostaglandin inflammatory mediators are derived from our essential fatty acids, just like endocannabinoids are derived from our essential fatty acids. And so they're all kind of tied into each other in terms of how inflammation works.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating stuff how interwoven all of this is. And, you know, when we think about that signal versus noise, and you talked about inflammation obviously being a key trigger to adaptation from exercise and Yep. You know, we see studies in 20-year-olds 20, 20 when given uh, NSAIDs, you know, ibuprofen after training, we're we're blunting the adaptive response that occurs after exercise. And, of course, yep. a similar thing happens when we see antioxidant supplements in these groups. But interestingly, when they do similar studies with the training in NSAIDs with 70-year-olds, you know, there's so much inflammatory noise in the terrain that, you know, giving them NSAIDs actually improves the the training response. And so it's kind of dampening down that noise to improve the signal. So um, really fascinating that you talk about, you know, obviously the appropriate context to be sort of using these things rather than having that kind of blanket approach of just trying to squash inflammation all the time. Cause that's obviously not, uh, not going to be ideal. And, you know, when we look at this whole, you know, CBD terrain here, I mean, obviously the research is exploding um, products are everywhere now, you know, you see things that are cost next to nothing, you know, Gum, chocolate bars, drinks—you know the the quality of these things. I mean, you know, maybe you could comment on. But you know, between all these products that are out there, and maybe the evolution of this, you know, where do you see the the research going in the next sort of five or ten years? When we talk about potential uh, benefits,
2: well, because of legalization at the state level, we're actually seeing a lot more research now, and it's it's there's a lot of research outside of the U.S., particularly in. Um, Israel. Israel has probably done more research in the endocannabinoid system than any other country on the planet and part of it's because... Interesting. Yeah, Raphael McCullum was... was, uh, Well, still is. I mean, he's in his 90s now. Uh, He just celebrated a birthday in the last month. Um, He is an Israeli biochemist. He's who discovered THC and he was... He's been instrumental in the discovery of most of the other cannabinoids. He's been instrumental in discovery of the components of the endocannabinoid you know, system, and he has had a continuous body of work in in cannabinoid science since 1963 when he discovered THC. And wow. in his, you know, in in the country of Israel, uh, there's a researcher by the name of Dede Mayari who has picked, you know. He's, you know, taken the baton from Raphael McCullum and is doing some amazing research on cannabinoids and the terpenoids that are found in the plant as well. And so the, the research is happening. And I think, you know, likely what we're going to see in the future is we're going to see more in terms of immunomodulating effects and, you know, in the protective effects in the gut barrier, protective effects in the blood-brain barrier, you know and just the basic preservation of homeostasis that that these plant com- compounds offer us
1: yeah it's uh it really is fascinating and especially at a time when things like you know again circling back to well obviously in the general population anxiety is is on the up and up and you know we see the rates increasing dramatically amongst all ages uh sleep disruptions as well and of course in sport head trauma is 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 top of the uh order for in so many sports as a, and, and improving the safety profile. So it's such an important area for a lot of organizations. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next, uh, in the next decade or so. So you know, really appreciate you carving out some time today, Steve, and, and giving us all these tremendous insights. Where can people stay connected with you to keep up with all the tremendous things that you're doing?
2: So the primary place to find me in the electronic world is on Nasha's website, drnasha.com. Uh, look for me under resources. I'm I'm doing some coaching for um, for individuals. I I do a lot of consulting with doctors. I'm and uh, that's the primary place to find me on the web right now. I'm doing mostly mostly consulting in the in the cannabis industry right now for quality control. Mm-hmm. I'm helping cannabis companies set up GMP compliance systems. Um, so that they have better traceability and better quality control, you know, so that they're, they're going to be ready for the FDA when, when we see federal legalization here in the U.S.
1: Interesting that you say when and not if, right?
2: I hope it's a when. <laughs> I'm, I'm really optimistic about that. I think it's, it's important.
1: Amazing, Steve. Well, listen, again, appreciate you covering up some time. Thanks so much for coming on. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep, uh, keep our eyes on your work and what's going to happen in the future.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dr. Bell's Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content, please consider subscribing on iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcasting platform. Show your support. And it's also a tremendous help to the show and helps us to continue to attract high-quality guests. If you haven't heard, my new book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports, is out. And I'm pleased to announce we actually hit the Amazon bestseller list in Canada and in the U.S. in sports medicine, physical medicine and rehab, and holistic medicine categories. So you can find out more info on that and the expert insights at athleteevolution.org. Athleteevolution.org, and of course you can pick up a copy on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Chapters Indigo, Waterstones, or your local book sellers. Awesome. If you have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode, you can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. And thanks again, folks, for listening, and we'll see you all next week with more expert insights. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of
2: the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.